Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the costume designer for Joker, Mark Bridges, and the makeup and hairstyling team for Joker, Nikki Lederman and Kay Georgiou. My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose, to bring laughter and joy to the world. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? Welcome, everyone, to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are talking with the newly Oscar-nominated Mark Bridges, the costume designer for Joker and two-time Oscar winner, Mark Bridges. Sir, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for asking. Uh, all is well here uh, with 11 nominations. Joker. <laughs> yeah, the, the most nominated movie of the year. That's quite an achievement. Congratulations to you, of course, on your fourth Oscar nomination. Um, the last time we saw you, you won a jet ski on the 2017 Oscars for winning, for having the shortest speech of the evening, which is quite a feat. And I hear that you actually donated the jet ski back. Is that correct? I donated it to the Motion Picture Television Fund uh, because I don't jet ski. (laughs) And uh, I thought, well, it was a motion picture event on television, so who better to get it? Um, They're a great charity Mm -hmm. that was formed by Mary Pickford many, many years ago, and it's for the industry, by the industry. So it went to a very good cause, and they auctioned it off online, and happy for them to have it. I also got an Oscar that night. Yes, I also got an Oscar that night. Everybody remembers I got a jet ski, but they're all like, hey, jet ski. And I was like, but I got, oh, well, (laughs) you got the big prize, which you got to keep. (laughs) It was pretty funny. It was a great gag, and I was happy to be part of it. It was certainly a memorable moment, and the charitable impulse is always a strong one. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Now to talk about Joker, um, I'm I'm very interested in why this film. Um, You looking at your resume, you tend to work with a lot of directors over and over again: David O. Russell, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, you've never worked with Todd Phillips before. What drew you to this project? Well, a couple of things. Uh, you know, I'm always looking to do uh, things that I haven't done before. Mm-hmm. So uh, sort of a new version of uh, a known character was kind of interesting to me. Todd approached me 
wrote me, said he likes my work. Uh, he has this great project, was wondering if I wanted to come on board. Uh, he knew I'd worked with Joaquin on two other mm-hmm. occasions uh, for the master and for inherent vice. And um, so I knew his lead actor and had worked with him. So we met, I re- he sent me the script, we met, uh, and I'm, I thought it was great. And he's very passionate about it. He co-written the script and um, I liked him a lot and I liked his vision for it. And of course, Joaquin is fantastic to work with. So I said, yes. Um, but I'm always trying to do something different. If you look at my resume too, yeah. it, it goes from, you know, this year I have marriage story and mm-hmm. Joker. I have, you know, Phantom Thread, I have Bourne, you know, Jason Bourne, yeah. you know, I try to mix it up. I keep trying to do different things and see things that strike me uh, as something different. I, I go for and it should be noted that the costumes and marriage story are also wonderful. Oh, thank you. I, you're very welcome. And it's interesting that, you know, you bring up that you'd worked with Joaquin Phoenix twice before. And particularly on Inherent Vice, that's a similar sort of time period to where they decided to set this movie. But it has a very different location. Yeah. Yeah. Ten years earlier. We were nineteen seventy for Inherent Vice mm-hmm. and this was kind of eighty, eighty one kind of thing. So yeah. a lot had changed, less hippie. There are mm-hmm. vestiges of the seventies <laughs> there yeah. in Joaquin um character, but uh yeah, to me quite different. Different palette, different mm-hmm. shapes. Um, you know, any five-year increments are different to me mm-hmm. as a costume designer. Yeah, sure. And it's also interesting because, yes, you worked with Joaquin, but he is went famously uh, method for this, losing a lot of weight um, and letting it... Uh, he's talked about how the character's weight sort of fluctuates throughout the film. Um, did that have any bearing on your work at all or was it any what did you get to meet him before you did the movie and were kind of surprised by the body type well you know i uh i first met him in july Mm -hmm. and he'd already lost like 20 pounds and by the time i saw him in august he'd lost almost another 30 wow and so we just had a quick meeting around 4th of July, 5th of July or something. And then when we really got to New York and we're buckling down in August, um, he had, he had lost again that much weight and a little bit more. So now I knew we were in the ballpark for what the character was going to be like. Of course, he, he still wanted to lose more, but I had to start somewhere. I had to yeah. start making clothes and, and we had to start fleshing it out. So, you know, I can take in pants, I can take in shirts right. and things, but <laughs> we really needed to find the guy. And he was close to his weight about about six weeks before we started shooting. Mm-hmm. And, and is that sort of about about the same amount of time or less time, more time than you usually have for costuming a main character? Well, it, it varies, you know. Sometimes you have a little less, sometimes... Mm. You have a little more, uh, you know, I, I just did a film, film 
and I only had maybe I never saw the actor who shall remain nameless <laughs> until like 16 days before we were starting shooting. Oh wow. Other commitments, other, mm-hmm. you know, so it varies. Sometimes it's two months, sometimes mm-hmm. it's 12 weeks, sometimes it's 16 days, you know, you just, you just roll with it. And that's part of my job is getting that done yeah. under whatever circumstances, you know? Yeah, sure. And it, it's also interesting. You talked about, um, you know, finding the guy and certainly part of that is in the way his body looks. Um, but I'm wondering how would you describe Arthur's personal style or, or does he even have one? I mean, this is a man who feels somewhat apart from society, like he's outside looking in. Yeah. And so I I do think he's a bit out of touch. Uh, Also, you know, you look at those questions that I ask about this character when I'm reading the script, like where does he get his clothes from? What means does he have to acquire them? How interested is is he in his clothes? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, where is he coming from in choosing them? You know, a lot of his clothes look from about 10 years old, at least. Um, yeah. There are those hard wearing polyester fabrics, larger collars that were popular mm-hmm. in the 70s and even some 60s sweaters. So we're kind of suggesting that he got some things and he's still wearing them. Yeah, and um, they're well worn, and he's not that. He doesn't have the means really to update it, or he's not that interested, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes through, and and then of course, the choice of colors suggests period, mm-hmm. but it was also something that I worked with with the production designer, um, and I thought I'd make some cool because we are ultimately working from a comic book source Mm -hmm. um you know you can play with the colors a little bit and you can you can walk that fine line of of reality and cartoon you know so Mm -hmm. there are some odd color combinations that hopefully uh made it interesting to watch yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the I keep remembering, you know, that in one of the earlier interview scenes with his um, with his social worker or psychiatrist, or I'm forgetting what her exact role is now. He's wearing this great green sweater, and of course, when he's in clown mode and becomes Joker, he dyes his hair green, which at first it kind of matches that color. And there are lots of fun through lines like that. I'm wondering because this is a rather iconic character that we've seen many times, uh, but we've never seen him in this particular setting. Um, and like you said, you know, given the comic book origins of the character, that you can play with color and do um more bold interesting things than you might yeah the the joker suit i'll call it is uh, <laughs> i love the maroon 
color and the yellow vest. What inspiration, if any, did you take from previous iterations? Because it really walks that that fine line between looking like we picture the character, but also completely different. Yeah, luckily, um, that worked out that way. I mean, we were trying to make, reinvent it a bit, but, you know, still have it uh, evoke that Joker the legacy. Um, in my mind, you know, whether that was Todd's idea or not. But also when I said, you know, I I wonder about like, what means does this character have to acquire clothes and things? If you notice the waistcoat, the vest in his Mm -hmm. clown, in his clown outfit becomes his Joker vest. Yeah. And, um, the suit sort of is a more intense version of what he does his stand up in. Yes. Um, he, that, so he owns that suit and then recombines things that he has to become the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he is the clown, happy, the clown, he's wearing that gold vest. And, mm-hmm. and then, yeah. So, but then I got fanciful with that green shirt. Cause I happened mm-hmm. to have an original 70 shirt that I liked and we just remade it. Oh, wow. Um, and then the two tone shoes I thought were fun. Uh, you know, the white socks, I never use white socks. And <laughs> I thought, well, if there's ever a character who would wear dingy white socks, <laughs> it's going to be Arthur Fleck. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll just kind of, you just, you, you think of like motivation and, you think of what you're trying to say and then there's another level another layer of thought that goes on it and try to have a little fun with it without taking you out of the script you know Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, a good time it's it's fun it's a fun challenge to me to try to figure it out and uh i did look at you know what what was the joker like when he first appeared as a character in comic books you know yeah. he had sort of had purple and striped trousers and stuff and it was just like i don't think so where are we going <laughs> to get that you know yeah um and so it had to come from somewhere and um and then but i did when i was a kid i liked batman uh, on TV when Cesar Romero was the yes. And I think he had a green shirt. So I mm-hmm. think I went for the Cesar Romero green shirt, uh, which was fun. But I think he wore a necktie. I, you know, I don't yeah. think we were going to do and gloves and stuff. So, yeah. you know, it all, everything has a DNA of something, but it still comes off fresh because we're bringing the pieces from motivated by the story and the character situation. Yeah, sure. Speaking about his situation, um, you know, one of the more fascinating characters in the, in the film outside of Arthur, of course, is uh, his mother played by Francis Conroy, who is, has an, an unspecified, if I recall correctly, illness besides just regular old age, um, and I'm wondering what the approach was to costuming her, because it's this sort of, by necessary of the plot, a somewhat mysterious character. She's kind of ethereal, but she also grounds Arthur in a way. Um, so I'm wondering if you could talk about the the idea behind her, what she was wearing. 
Yeah, you know, I think um, when we, if you read the original script, you know, uh, there, there's a little more of a living in the past aspect to this woman. You know, she yeah. sort of wistfully recalls her time with at the Wayne family yes. home, and so we we try. So you know, we I think, and you see in the production design, you know, she is a bit stuck in her more heyday, even though things are sort of shabby at this point. So mm-hmm. hopefully that got reflected in her clothes. You know, I used uh, a, a vintage, very tired vintage satin sort of 50s dressing gown that we first see her in. And she's put on lipstick for Arthur to come home and it's dinner and it's, it's Murray Franklin. And so, and we were trying to feel like there's a, a nostalgia in her and she's a bit stuck in her time period and in a time period, a much earlier time period. And, uh, that, so I, hopefully that came through. And then of course, mm. again, what's available and what means they have to buy new. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's, it's so interesting. You know, you, you say like, like you say, it's it takes place in, you know, around 80, 81. So in a lot of the, you know, people on the streets, it's sort of the last holders of the seventies, but Arthur's clothes are from the earlier in the seventies and his mother's are even earlier. So you're dealing with a, almost a lot of different periods at the same time. Um, in in which, one movie, honestly, uh, is kind. Of, which I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, go uh, ahead. Which is kind of you look around, you look around. You know, you see some older people who are wearing wide-legged pants. You know, mm-hmm. all the kids are wearing the trim-legged trousers. You know, but there's some people who haven't changed their look in 30 years. Yeah, you know, they look exactly the same as they did. And mm-hmm. so Frances Conroy's character didn't change hers since 1950, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, we're, we kind of see it day to day. There are people yeah. who are up to date or there are people with 10-year-old clothes or there are people with 30-year-old clothes. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, or hairstyles. I mean, it's interesting to see some ladies nowadays who still get the Saturday comb out and spray, you know, that they had when they were a cute chick in the sixties. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My great aunt every week. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> yep. so that's kind of what we did with that character. Yeah. I think one last question uh, before I let you go is how do you costume a whole mob of people. <laughs> I, you know, we have these protests that sort of build throughout the film, and it's a lot of people. And the the implication is that while they're not of the very very wealthy of the city of Gotham, they sort of comprise everybody else. So you're dealing with a lot of people of different yeah. backgrounds it's week weeks of pre-fitting mm-hmm. background and also then just the clothes that we're acquiring you know has a, a kind of palette to it if it's the late 70s early 80s which was kind of 
light browns and and maroons and navy and chocolate brown and mauves yeah uh powder blue um forest green um there's things there's so we get things that are sort of that palette and that shape and have weeks of fittings, <laughs> refitting of the people. And, and, and each time somebody shows up, you know, I have a staff for this, but I'm mm-hmm. there looking because it's all part of the whole, you know? Um, yeah. uh, and they send us the people and you look at the type of person that they send me and be like, Oh, she, she's an office worker on the way home. He's like a guitar player, you know, you, you kind of work with the look of the background player mm. that they send you and then outfit them and alter it and save it. It's quite a big job, but yeah. we, I try to do it so that everyone is different and their own character. And uh, I think that makes for a richer scene. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Absolutely, it does. And I some of those crowd scenes there they're memorable because of the way these people look. Um, so congratulations on, on that job. It can't have been easy and congratulations on the Oscar nomination. Thank you very much. It was great talking to you. It was great talking to you as well. And best of luck throughout this shortened Oscar season. (laughs) Um, we'll be looking for you all throughout. Thanks again. Take care. Ah, you are very welcome, sir. <laughs> What's so funny? Just... Freak! <laughs> Gotham has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that 
My life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next Best Picture podcast. We are talking with the newly Oscar-nominated hair and makeup leads from the movie Joker. I have Kay Georgiou and Nikki Laterman with me. Ladies, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. First of all, I just want to say congratulations to both of you. This is I think officially your first Oscar nominations, although you've worked on other projects that have received Oscar nominations. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I, it was interesting when I was looking up your guys' history, I found that you also worked on The Kitchen, which was released earlier in 2019. And it also takes place in a similar sort of time period to Joker. Um, had you guys worked together before that, or was that the first time that you had worked on a project together? Nikki and I worked together for the first time on Vinyl, um, the pilot for Vinyl, ah. which was um, directed by Martin Scorsese. And I think that the year of that was 2015? Yeah, it was 14 or 15. But I've known of Kay before because she is the superstar in the hair world. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, that, but yes, and we had before, I think there was another little job that I came on for like a minute. I think it would it be Now You See Me? Yes, Now You See Me. I think we've done the reshoot for that. Yes. Um, oh, Kerry wow. Smith was the hairdresser on that yeah. film, but I came to help Kerry out yeah. uh, for something. I can't remember really. Oh, Mark Ruffalo was his wig for that. That's right. For reshoots, it was just for reshoots. So yes, Nikki and I have worked together over the over the years a few times. So and it's all sort of been in this sort of seventies to maybe early eighties milieu, and I'm wondering if there's anything that you took away from those projects from the kitchen and from vinyl uh, that you used when doing Joker since it takes place in this similar time frame? Actually, not really. I think because it was a very, you know, the, the whole took place, even though it was in a similar time frame, it was a very different cultural setting in a way. And mm -hmm. because we, we translated Joker into Gotham which is not New York, but sort of we took basically the reminiscing of a New York mm -hmm. of the late 70s, the poverty, the crime, the destruction, the grittiness, the, you know, the, the you know, the dirtiness of, of, of all, all, all the darkness of it. We, we, we went more on the darker side versus the kitchen was more like, you know, the mafia, you know, it was a very different, very different, um, what do you call it? There was also, at the very beginning of uh, Joker, Todd Phillips wanted us to look at a documentary which was made by uh, Chantal Ackerman, which was a documentary about 1977 New York City and it truly... Letters from Home? Letters from Home, correct. And it was an amazing documentary about 
you know, New oh, York wow. City, like the streets, like the destruction, the, you know, it was just so, mm. that was really the main inspiration for us. But, but not set the tone. Set the tone and the mood of the movie as well as the, the colors, you know, the, the color palette and, and yeah, it was like, it was a great mm. documentary that every department drew their inspiration from in terms of creating their designs for their department. That's really interesting. Um, and, and it, it's also interesting because out, outside of the main character, which is very much his own look to him, you're sort of working with two groups of people. You have the people who wind up being the protesters who are more of a lower class proletariat type person. And then you have the sort of more upper class non-protester type of people and i'm wondering especially thinking about like since most of the protesters are wearing masks how much work did you do to make sure that they all still looked of a piece that each group was easily identifiable um as separate from each other but felt all of the same world and all of the same group right well what one of the things that um I, I think it was the difference between us, the two groups, and you're quite right. There were definitely two groups of, or two looks in, in the film, two different sets of people. Um, there was definitely all of the protesters, all of the general passers by, the general public. That was all very much a very gritty New York, not New York, a very gritty goth um, that was supposed mm-hmm. to be all very down deep. Um, People had no money, they couldn't afford makeup, they couldn't afford nice clothes, they couldn't afford to go to get their hair done all the time or cut. It was very, very plain, simple, like natural. And then there was the other people who were like Thomas Wayne, Martha Wayne, the 1%, as we would call them today, the 1%. And we did have quite a lot of them in the, there's a, a scene where Arthur Fleck goes to meet Thomas Wayne in a cinema and they're playing an old Charlie Chaplin film and we yeah. did have a lot of audience members in there that were you, you don't really see them but um, they were very highly groomed um, for, for that as far as their hair went you know I made sure that everyone looked like they had done their hair as if they were they were going to the opera if you like you know they were done they had um, well groomed well maintained like they'd just been to the salon for that event. Yeah. Same with Thomas Wayne, same with Martha Wayne. You making them, you know, mm-hmm. making them shine a bit more, and a bit more scale. scale. Yeah. Then everybody else, the general, like all of the protesters, the people that you see on the street, I, I tried um, very hard to get people with long hair that, that was, you know, was natural hair, but that was their own. We had a lot of stunt performers in the film that had very short hair, Nearly all of them were wigs because they just, you know, they had that very neat, modern day hair. And, you know, when you see a lot of the fighting on the subway, a lot of those were were our stunt team. Um, But of course, they didn't look like that. You know, they nearly all of them are in wigs. Um, Mm. And it was just to take away, A, the modern day look of modern day cuts, but also, and to, you know, bring it back into an earlier time period. And also so that they don't look so neat, so groomed, so cared for, you know? And uh, yeah. a lot of the with, the with 
with those people, with stunt performers, with the protesters. the protesters, with the, you know, whether they had masks on. And, and a lot of the makeups were done by hand in the crowd and painting clown makeups on the background, on their faces. And those people, it was a question of just putting products in their hair so they didn't look freshly shampooed. You know, so they looked broken down. Mm. Yeah, and it was it was really important that we would get a good mix of varieties of like protesters with masks on and protesters yeah. with clown faces painted on, and you know it had to be all kind of within the same design because obviously they're all going for that one look. Um, yeah, and and so and and with costumes too, you know that, that costumes played such a huge part, and so did the set. I mean, it all I mean, was, everything was kind yeah. of in sync with each other, you know. So they all looked like they fitted into the right place, you know, at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it comes across quite quite brilliantly in the film, actually. Um, and now, since you guys talked <laughs> you guys talked about this mask, the difference between the mask and the painted faces. And so I have to ask, especially as it came to, comes to Arthur, because, of course, this is an iconic character that we've seen a number of times before, but in this, um, I think for the first time in any film with this character, we also have the plastic clown mask that um, a, a lot of people end up wearing, including him. Although the no, now that I say that, of course they did do that for a couple of scenes in The Dark Knight. But anyway, I have to ask since the mm -hmm. the mask yeah. becomes uh, sort of based on. Arthur's look, um, which is the chicken sure. or the egg here? Did you find the mask first mm -hmm. and then design his clown look, or did you design the clown look and then the mask? Yeah, no, the, design, the, the clown look was designed first. And then, because we had to really make sure that we come up with a design for the movie, and you can't really create a prop first before you establish the main character. So the, the the clown design was designed first and then from that a version of that design was then used to produce the masks, which all happened obviously before shooting, but yeah. Right. So it was in the order of what it was basically designed after our working clown look. Because then after when he turns into the Joker the mask is sort of like, you know, it's, it's a reflection of the working class because when, you know, Joaquin does the killing, you know, yeah. I guess he must have been seen somewhere and somebody said a clown, a clown was done out of the subway or whatever. So from what the people vision of their, you know, their witnesses or whatever you want to call it, saw mm. run away after the killing, that's what that mask is based on. So that's how in the stories the mask comes about and then you know but the in order of technical technicality the the clown's design was designed before the mask was produced mm -hmm. how did you design his, the his clown look i mean given that this is you know like this is an iconic character something that everyone knows but this is a new um version of it um, in a period that I don't think the character has ever been seen in before. So what was your approach to creating that look? And especially given that it's based on his job as a clown for hire. 
Right, exactly. Well, when we when we um, first met with um, the director, Todd, he already had played with Joaquin around uh, about the design. I think Joaquin actually um, painted, did it himself to kind of mm. get an idea of what it should look like. And then he gave us um, a mock-up of that design to then translate into, you know, what the final um, design for the movie should be. Okay. And... Um, so it was like it was it was so it was a, a true collaboration between actually many departments. It was like Todd, mm. it was Joaquin, it was me, it was also wardrobe because of yeah. colors and textures and production design. We had to make sure that everything is in sync. And then what my job was basically to take all the inputs and then come up with like a design that reflects all those ideas and those visions and then, you know, apply the right colors you know come up with the correct colors yeah. and textures and placements on the face that work with Joaquin's features and then once we played around a little bit and did a few trials you know we we showed them to Todd and you know and as soon as Todd and Joaquin were comfortable with final design that's what we went with them and based everything else on that particular design like the mask and then the joker because the joker is really a rebirth of that that clown, the working clown look. Right. Yeah. And I, the other thing that it is very striking um, when you're watching the movie is there's a, the cinematography uses a lot of very strikingly colored lighting. Um, I think about the mm-hmm. light of the refrigerator or from the, um, from the signs in the city, um, the subway lighting. Um, how much did that affect your work working on um, the face. (laughs) Yeah. No, very much because lighting for hair and makeup is extremely Mm -hmm. important because, you know, if you think you want to use a color for a design, if it's a hair color or a a makeup color, you know, the light can really manipulate the color. So it was really important that we worked really closely with the cinematographer because, you know, you you can have a light and, and the color disappear or turn to a completely different color on screen. So it was really important that, you know, we knew how it would be lit so we can compensate for lighting or lighting will compensate for us. You know, it's like it's like it's like teamwork there. We have to be in sync with each other. Mm. We have to know what we're doing so we can like help each other out to get the right colors in the end and get the right brightness or or, or details that could be hidden with the with a lighting that wouldn't work. For example, there was, you know, when when in the scene where Arthur Fleck dyes his hair green yeah. uh, in, in his apartment, it didn't register at first. The green wasn't registering. Oh. And it was, you know, he was already wearing a green wig at this point. Mm. So Nikki and I, this, you know, we, we came up with this idea that he would dye his hair. You know, you would see the green dye. So Nikki took some of the green in her makeup palette and we put it in a bottle of water gave it to Joaquin and he pours it over his head where you can see it's green and it runs down his face, yeah. lands on his shoulders. And, and then you, and that's when the green starts to register. Cause the first time, huh. even though his hair is green in the apartment, the first time you really see how bright yeah. it is, is when he walks down the corridor and gets into the elevator. Yes. That's the same green as he had in the apartment. It's just the lighting was different, so it didn't look as vibrant. Fascinating. <laughs> and I'm also interested, um, 
you know, like we're talking about the, how the lighting affects the makeup. And the other thing that really affected this character is, you know, Joaquin lost a lot of weight for the role. And um, he's talked about how um, the character's weight was constantly fluctuating as part of, you know, his various um, conditions. Um, and I'm curious as to how that affected your work, if if at all. What do you mean by fluctuating his? Um, in terms of like his his face has becomes more sallow, callow in certain scenes, um, mm-hmm. and has more meat on it in other scenes. And I'm I'm wondering if that was something that you that affected your work in any way in terms of how maybe not when he has the the clown makeup on, but in but in other scenes, um, how, if at yeah. all, that affected your work? Well, it, it, in a way, it didn't really affect our work yeah. so much. I mean, that's just part of the nature of the game. And he lost so much weight and he looked so gaunt. And at first, I we helped him a little bit with like shading to keep it gaunt, you know, mm-hmm. because, again, sometimes the way it's lit, it doesn't seem as gaunt, even yeah. though it is, you know. So, but at the same time, it's really tricky to paint gauntness on an actor because you can always kind of see it, especially when an actor moves around that you can help but maybe see a little bit of makeup shading. We wanted to make sure that that will never be seen. So, you know, we went very, very light with that kind of makeup for him. And it's, you know, you know, lighting changes things sometimes and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of really to us didn't matter that much because it was really all about the performance for those parts when he's not in clown makeup, it was all, oh, even when he was in clown makeup, it was really all about the performance to sell it. Yeah. You know, and he did a terrific job. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a fantastic performance. And, and part of that performance was applying his own clown makeup. <laughs> um, is that something, yeah. is that something you guys had ever had experience with before in terms of an actor applying their own makeup on camera? And, and how did you, what sort of wrinkles did that um, pose for you? How did that affect your work when he's in charge of putting it on for at least a couple scenes? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he never really fully put on his makeup. It was always preset. And then when he was on camera applying his own makeup, it was all like preset, you know, we make sure he has the right, uh, gave him the right tools. And mm-hmm. I would say like, you know, it's easy if we start this way and just put a little bit of water, it'll be easier to do it that way. But it also was very important that the way he would do his makeup and he, in, initially he actually wanted to do his own makeup for the whole movie. Oh, wow. Um, but it's not really possible. It's yeah. not really possible though, because of, you know, continuity issues and right. like, you know, he has enough already to do with his performance. But it was really important to incorporate his hand into my hand, you know, that Mm -hmm. we are in sync with how we would do it. And the most important part for the clown design itself was that it is a look that he could easily replicate, that anybody really could replicate because it's a clown look that is not really a very precise, perfectly, um, beautifully made clown design but it's supposed to be organic it's supposed to be real it's supposed to be imperfect it's supposed to reflect his personality a little bit and the conditions he's living in and Mm -hmm. all that stuff so that it was a really you know i i kind of like he 
he, you know, I know what he wanted and I showed him what I would do and he would watch and see what I do. And then he would kind of do because we, we, we established it together. And then I, he would be mostly in my makeup. And then when he had to do the part, he had to paint on his own makeup. It was easy for him to kind of like go with what we already established because it was important that we would create something that's not that difficult to do because the whole point was that it's, you know, a simple right thing, yeah which makes the whole thing even more powerful yes 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 agreed um uh i think i want to say the last thing before we end um the image that i keep coming back to from this film um is that image of him with his white makeup on but splattered with all that red blood um after he is just gone down the deep end and brutally murdered this man in his own apartment. Yeah. And I, I, I keep coming back to that image and how how much input did, did you guys have in terms of that look or was that already something that they knew they wanted? How, I mean, and that blood splatter on his face. Um, how much work did, did, did you guys do to get that be such a powerful image to read on screen? Yeah, that that truly was very powerful. And in fact, just him in the white face, yeah. which was all of Joaquin's idea. Oh, it, extremely! Powerful. I loved that that face just with with his green wet hair, the white mm-hmm. face, and the color, like stain on his body and his chest running down was so yeah. amazingly powerful. And the blood splatter was it was you know because we had to shoot so many different angles and we had to you know and it was so intense that whole scene and we had to shoot it all really fast. What we basically did, we had, I remember we had Izzy, his stunt double, mm-hmm. and we mm. had Joaquin all put together in that white face, the green wig, and I took Joaquin and I splattered him. I did actually pretty fast. Like I put blood in my hand and then I flicked blood all over him, <laughs> over his body and his face. And I did the same thing to, to Izzy, his stunt double. And that was done on the set. And that was all done on the set. Oh. But then after we were done shooting, they took they took both of them into um, the visual effects room and scanned them in so that when they needed to match certain things back and forth, that it would match, you know, that they could then, you know, use the blood splat and, 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 and make it match. So it, wow. the continuity would be the same. So it was, it was done practically. And then it was taken into the visual effects room for matching. Wow. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. <laughs> um, well, I, that's all the time we have. Thank you ladies so much uh, for taking oh, no the time. So yeah. And con- again, congratulations on the Oscar nomination. Um, good luck to you (laughs) and looking forward to seeing what you guys work on next thank you so much great thank you thank Thank you you. of course hey everyone thank you so much for listening to dan bear's interview with the academy award nominated costume designer for joker mark bridges and the academy award nominated makeup and hairstyling team for joker Nikki Lederman and Kay Georgiou here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.